Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. How delighted I am to see you return to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today... Well, oh, don't pay attention over there. I'm sorry. That closet door, uh, I usually keep it shut, but every once in a while, it opens by itself. Just, just a crack. And ne never mind the sounds coming from it. I dare say it is best that you do not investigate. For the horrors that lie within the darkest corners of every closet are enough to chill you to the very bone. And therein lies the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, The Boogeyman. So before we get into this, I do want to thank everyone for returning to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Uh, I took a couple weeks off uh, here last week. Well, the week before last, my brother and his family were in town uh, from North Carolina. So, you know, I wanted to spend some time with them. And last week was pretty much more just a recharge the battery kind of week for me. And that's kind of why I haven't done a show in the past couple weeks. And I do apologize for, for those of you that do enjoy listening to me on in a stream of consciousness rambling about to movies and TV and whatnot. Uh, I do thank you for, for sticking with me and returning uh, to the show with uh, this new episode because I'm really excited about this episode. I was so glad to see that something I was really uh, excited about, interested about, uh, very hesitant about was going to be the first show back after a couple weeks off and that movie is The Boogeyman. Now, The Boogeyman is one of my all-time favorite favorite, if not my all-time favorite, Stephen King short story. Uh, one of the first, well, actually the first book I ever purchased uh, of Stephen King, the first book I ever owned of Stephen King's was his book of short stories, Night Shift. I got it in a book fair at uh, at my school. I think it was in high school. And I'd known of Stephen King. If you've checked out any of my other episodes where I talk about Stephen King, my love of Stephen King, you know that uh, I, I was aware of Stephen King before I started reading Stephen King. All those classic movies like Cujo, Carrie, Children of the Corn. I was very much aware of all those movies as a kid. And when I started reading Stephen King, uh, that book of short stories was really kind of a, a great gateway into becoming a huge Stephen King fan and one of my favorite stories in Night Shift. And there are a lot of really good stories. I mean, that, that book has so many of the short stories that are my favorites to this very day. Gray Matter, which we did an episode on the Creepshow adaptation of that. Jerusalem's Lot, the uh, Chapelweight TV series based on that. We talked about that, uh, you know, a, a while back on the show. Battleground is has always been one of my favorites. Trucks, the the short story that uh, Maximum Overdrive was based on, is fantastic. Sometimes they come back. The Ledge and Quitters Inc. Featured in the Cat's Eye anthology movie. Of course, Children of the Corn. Just as so many classic Stephen King stories came out of Night Shift. So, there again. Suffice to say, always been one of my favorite books of short stories of Stephen King and of all time. Uh, some of my favorite stories came out of that. Uh, not the least of which is The Boogeyman. Like I said, probably my favorite short story of his uh, of all time. I'm going out on a, a very shaky limb with that because there are so many great short stories from Stephen King but that has I, I think over the years over the decades that has always stood out as as one of my all-time favorites and the short story of Stephen King's that I always thought would have made a really scary movie and I've always wanted to see an adaptation now there's a dollar baby out there from I can't remember how long ago it was created it's okay. It's not my favorite. The acting is, is you know, it's Dollar Baby style acting. And it's a very straight up adaptation. And it leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, for as, as fun as it is to watch, uh, I, I don't really care for it. To me, that's not the quintess 
quintessential adaptation of Stephen King's Boogeyman by any stretch of the imagination. But I always thought it would have made a great big screen adaptation. Now, this is before I really kind of got into the nuts and bolts of movie making and what makes a good movie adaptation. When I'm a teenager and I think I want to see that on the big screen, I look back at that and as an adult now I'm like, well, they couldn't do the story a straight up adaptation because this movie is essentially two men, Dr. Harper and Lester Billings, sitting in a doctor's office, a psychiatrist's office, and Lester Billings just telling his story. Now that's not to say it couldn't be done in a way that, uh, well, we'll get into what I think they could have done with the adaptation that would have been a little more true to the short story. But I say all this to say the boogeyman, as soon as I heard that they were doing an adaptation, I was at first very excited because again, favorite short story, Stephen King. Uh, I'm always excited when I hear there's a Stephen King adaptation. And then the real and palpable fear that ensued after that initial excitement because I know what filmmakers have done with Stephen King properties as of late and it's not good. So many Stephen King adaptations that to me feel bastardized or half-assed. Too many filmmakers out there thinking I want to see their version of the story. Well, I don't want to see your version of the story. I want to see Stephen King's version of the story and your telling of it. I don't want to see that fucking horrible remake of Children of the Corn that just ripped the heart out of anything scary in the original uh, Stephen King short story, or even the original film adaptation of Children of the Corn. Now, the film adaptation of Children of the Corn was very different in some regards to the to the original short story. Again, it was a situation where they kind of had to fill out some story to make it a little more presentable for a big screen audience. And I get that. Now, some people don't like that adaptation of Children of the Corn, but I think it, at the heart of it, keeps the essence of the short story intact while expanding on it a little bit, expanding on the characters, expanding on the story a little bit, so you can get a story with a, a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. While I do like the nihilistic ending of Stephen King's short story, I, I do like the good guys win in the end version that we got in the the original adaptation with Linda Hamilton and Peter Horton. And I wasn't sure what we were going to get with this adaptation of The Boogeyman. Were we going to get Children of the Corn from 1984, where it keeps the essence of the original short story intact and then just builds upon that? Or were we going to get Children of the Corn 2023 that just pretty much bastardized uh, the Stephen King story? And this weighed heavy on my mind until I saw a synopsis of this where they talk about the movie, the characters, a psychiatrist, and his two kids. And I'm like, well, that's not the original Stephen King story at all. So uh, right off the bat, I was like, I'm out. I, I, I know this is going to be shit. I don't even want to watch it. I am going to watch it just because it is a Stephen King property and I want to see what they do with it. But I was quite certain I was going to hate it. I was quite certain that the filmmakers were going to bastardize yet another Stephen King property and that this was going to be as bad as Children of the Corn 2023 turned out to be. But that was my initial reaction when words started coming out about this movie. I, I can't remember exactly when we started hearing any kind of synopsis of the film, maybe 2021, 2022, kind of when scripts were starting to be finished and production was starting to get underway. But then as more word came out and, and more of late, uh, when I started seeing some of the trailers and I kind of got an idea what they were going to do with it, where the doctor is the doctor from the original short story, but we're just seeing uh, essentially a continuation of the story from the doctor's point of view. I thought, okay, this could be interesting. And I was a little more on board. I thought there was a possibility they could keep the original short story intact. But then I saw some trailers and some sneak peek scenes. David Dostmalchin uh, played that sneak peek during the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. And you kind of got that initial scene between his character and Chris Messina's Dr. Harper character. And it is essentially 
Lester Billings and Dr. Harper, their psychiatry session from the short story. It's not played out exactly, but it is a, a definite homage to that and a version of that. So I thought, okay, now we're, we're at least paying the proper respect to the source material. I, I still think this is going to go in a different direction, and that direction could be horrible, but I, I was a little more on board. So I, it, this movie kind of chipped away at the stone in the promotion of it uh, to where I was, I was totally out. I was dreading watching this movie, and then finally, by the time the movie came out this past weekend, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this. I know it's not going to be the Stephen King short story. It's not going to be a literal adaptation of the Stephen King short story. But it is going to have uh, notes of that. Um, I'm, I'm good with that. And I'm at least going to give it, if as long as it's a scary movie, I at least want it to be a scary movie. If it's not a word-for-word adaptation of Stephen King's short story, I can live with that as long as this movie scares the shit out of me. And I went to see the movie, and it it did. Uh, I'm not one that scares easy. You know, when I was a kid growing up, you know, it didn't take much to scare the bejesus out of me. Even as a teenager, and even into my young adulthood, you know, I was pretty, pretty scared of things that went bump in the night. Uh, as I've gotten older... Uh, things don't scare me as much. Movies don't scare me as much. Uh, you know, the monsters uh, have kind of lost their power. And it's kind of like those movies where as soon as you stop believing in something, it starts to disappear. Never-ending story. Perfect example. When people stop believing, stop making wishes, then that world starts to disappear into the nothing. I'm kind of at that point where I don't believe that there's the monsters lurking in the shadows that I used to as a kid or even as a teen or a young adult. And things don't scare me as much. It takes a lot to scare me. Uh, and I won't say that this is the most scary movie you'll ever see because fear is subjective. What you find really bone-chillingly frightening, I may not. What I might find frightening, you might not. So, so fear is a subjective thing, and something being scary is very subjective. But I have not felt fear in a movie as much as I did with this movie in a very long time. It had a lot of really well-done jump scares, and I'm not a you-know-me. Uh, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you know my, my thoughts on jump scares, and especially bad jump scares. Uh, these had jump scares, but every jump scare was a part of the horror. It was a part of the action. It was a part of something going on. It made sense. There were no cheap jump scares. There were no uh, somebody just opens a door, and there's a, a music sting or a big loud sound effect, and just cheap just startle you, make you jump, and call that horror, call that fear. Uh, it was nothing like that. It was all a part of the action, all a part of the storytelling, these jump scares. And I thought the jump scares were done really well. On top of all the other things that made this movie scary, which we'll get into here uh, very shortly. But just to kind of give you a, a jumping off point of what goes on in this movie, fairly spoiler-free, uh, before we get into some spoilers, because I, I really do want to talk about this, but you have this this family, the Harper family. Dr. Harper, Will, played by Chris Messina, uh, his oldest daughter, Sadie Harper, played by uh, Sophie Thatcher, and his youngest daughter, Sawyer Harper, played by Vivian Lear Blair. The girl's mother, Will Harper's wife, has passed away, I believe, at least a month prior, because it has been a month since the girls have been in school and they're starting to go back to school but uh, she died in a car accident and this family is still dealing with the grief of the loss of uh, a wife and mother and not dealing with the grief well and what does that grief open them up to make them susceptible to well there's a darkness that uh, it comes and and was it brought to them or or not that's really kind of one of the the questions i have that we'll talk about in the end of this and my thoughts on it but uh this family is opened up to a darkness, a dark entity, uh, because of their grief, through their grief. And while they're trying to heal from this loss and heal as a family because everyone's dealing with this grief in a different way, some uh, not so healthy ways, they're fighting for their lives while dealing with this grief. And it, it makes for an interesting setup for the story. Uh, it really opens the door to 
to get a lot of emotion into this, to get a lot of horror and a lot of fear into this, to set a lot of tension. And I, I think, you know, it was a great premise for this movie. Now, of course, the movie is directed by Rob Savage. You may know him from, uh, he does, he's, he's more known for a lot of his recent stuff, which is a lot of found footage things like dash cam and that kind of online Zoom style uh, host. Uh, he's more known for that recently, so it was kind of interesting to see after seeing those things most recently to see him do like a a regularly filmed theatrical release. Uh, he directed this, and I'll, I'll talk about my thoughts on the direction of this. But I really did enjoy his direction and and his vision for this movie. The original screenplay is by Scott Beck and Brian Woods. Of course, they wrote the. Uh, movie A Quiet Place, which I'm a huge fan of. And you really see, because A Quiet Place is very much about the family dynamic and, you know, this father figure trying to protect his kids. And you understand, you know, that their hands are all over this with the family dynamic of this. It's not the same sort of family dynamic, but there is a family dynamic here and an emotion to that. Uh, you very much got that with A Quiet Place. Now, now they wrote the original screenplay for this, but it did go through a rewrite from uh, Mark Heyman. And I, I'm not sure, just listening to some interviews, I think Rob Savage may have had a hand in some of the rewriting as well. Because the original script had the Will Harper character, the doctor, as the main character. And they ended up, uh, changing that to the Sophie Thatcher character, Sadie. Uh, she's kind of your main character in this. And I, I'd almost like uh, where they went with it because of that. I, I don't know as if I would have enjoyed this as much if the Dr. Will Harper was the main character. Because I think having the Sadie character as your main character allows you into a lot of different places. The relationship between her and her younger sister, the relationship between her and her father, how she's dealing with the loss of her mother, how she's helping her sister cope with that, how she's dealing with how her father is not there for her and her sister as a result of his poor coping mechanisms. I think having Sophie Thatcher's character Sadie as your your lead in this was was really interesting. And we'll we'll talk about these actors and we'll talk about the characters here coming up shortly. But ultimately this movie had a lot of hands on it. Uh, very capable hands from the writing to the directing to the acting. And if you haven't seen The Boogeyman yet and you like a good scary movie, it's PG-13, so it's it's not going to be uh, full of a bunch of gore or anything like that. You could take the kids to see it. There's not a bunch of swearing. I suggest you go check it out. Uh, the Boogeyman's in theaters right now. And if you have seen it or maybe you're not sure if you want to see it or not, uh, then we're going to talk about it in a little more depth. And if you've seen it, maybe you'll agree with my thoughts on it. If you haven't seen it, maybe it'll entice you to go check it out, regardless of how much I'm going to spoil it, because I am going to spoil it, uh, because uh, there are spoilers coming up. We're going to talk about this movie, and it's no holds barred. So if you don't want anything spoiled for you, go watch The Boogeyman, come back, listen to this podcast, and then maybe see, uh, we'll compare notes, see how you liked it compared to how I liked it, what you liked compared to what I like. And from here on out, though, there are going to be spoilers. So we're going to talk about these characters right now, the, the characters and the actors. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on them because there's not a ton of, of actors in this. Uh, there are only a few principal characters, the, the three members of the Harper family, the Billings family, which we're only going to talk uh, briefly about them because they are not a main part of the story. There are some tertiary characters, some friends of Sadie, high school friends that really are not of much consequence. Just plot devices to get Sadie from point A to point B, quite literally in one <laughs> One aspect where she has her one uh, best friend driver to the old Billings house. So uh, I'm, I'm not going to talk about those. Uh, those young actresses did a, did a fine job. Uh, just the characters aren't much to talk about. There's no reason to talk about them. But the actresses, like I said, did a, did a really good job with the roles uh, as small as they were for this movie. But I think we're going to talk about the two characters we're introduced to first and foremost. 
the Chris Messina character, Dr. Will Harper, and the David Dasmalchen character, Lester Billings. So first off, the Will Harper character, he's a psychiatrist. He has an office in his home. We meet him. He's talking to one of his patients when the Les Billings character comes in and kind of uh, surprises him and wants to talk with him. He's going to take him on as a new patient. But the Will Harper character is is kind of interesting because he is a psychiatrist. He is going through the loss of his wife. And as much as he is business as usual, putting on a good facade of coping with the loss of his wife, he's not doing a good job of it. Uh, he's not coping with his wife's death very well because he has shut himself off from his kids. And it really makes the line from David Dasmalchen's character, uh, Lester Billings, that the boogeyman is what comes for your kids when you stop paying attention. And that is exactly what is happening because Will Harper has shut himself off. He won't talk to his kids about their mother's death. Uh, he won't grieve with them. And in some scenes where Sadie is wearing her mom's old dress to her first day back to school, it kind of it kind of throws the Will Harper character and takes him aback. And and there's there's scenes later where he's packing up all of his wife's old things to take him down to the basement with no care or concern for how this is going to affect his kids. And I think that makes this character quite interesting because he is fallible. You know, he is a therapist. He should know better. He should know how his actions are affecting his kids, especially in the wake of losing their mother and him losing his wife. And he's not paying attention to any of that. The girls are in therapy with uh, another therapist and He's supposed to come kind of have family therapy with him, and he's not doing it. He's not doing what he needs to do as a father to help them heal. And there again, he's a psychiatrist. He should know better. And when things start to go down, you know, there's very much he's a scientific mind, and he doesn't believe, he doesn't want to believe that there's anything wrong. It's just all the grief. Any issues they're having, any nightmares that Sawyer is having, is just because she's upset because her mother is dead. And I thought Chris Messina did a really good job with this character. Uh, of course, you know him. He played the detective in Devil. He also played the detective in that Sharp Objects uh, miniseries on HBO. My wife and I watched She read the book, and we both watched the miniseries. Did a, that was a fantastic series. Creepy as F. But Chris Messina played a really good, uh, did a really good job with that. Uh, he's been in a, a ton of other things. Those are the two things that come to mind that I know that he's been but I, I thought he did a really good job with this character because when the movie first starts it does feel like he is going to be the lead character you get the sense that he's the strong one and he is there for his kids and taking Sadie to school and you think he is going to be the protagonist in this and then slowly that facade begins to chip away and you get a lot of dialogue from Sadie where she's wanting him to open up and he won't and she's wanting him to come to their their family therapy and he won't and and you realize really quickly that this facade, which kind of matches the facade um, that he's put up in this, that this character is put up, uh, you see this facade start to chip away and that he is not the main character um, because he is flawed and he is just as messed up as anybody given the fact that his wife has just recently died. He's just not dealing with it very well. And Chris Messina does a good job with portraying that that sense at the beginning that he's got all of it. He's got it all together. And then kind of that realization as a viewer that no, he doesn't have it all together and that he is not dealing with this in a, a very healthy manner, especially as it pertains to his two young daughters. And Chris Messina does a really good job with that. Uh, later on when... The, the realization that all the things that they've been talking about, all the, all the nightmares that Sawyer has had are, are real. That fear and, 
and inability to protect his daughters at the very end when when he's taken captive by the boogeyman and he's broken his leg and uh, he, he's not able to move and that that helplessness yeah, you really got that from Christmasina's performance. I thought he did a really good job. Now the other primary character that we meet right away is the Lester Billings character, the main character from the story in Stephen King's Night Shift, uh, The Boogeyman. Uh, David Stutzmalchen plays Lester Billings, and this character is is a little different from the character in the book because we get a brief family history because it very much mirrors the uh, discussion between Dr. Harper and Lester from the book where he's telling his story about his wife and his family and how his three kids were killed and... He didn't do it physically, but he did it by not not being there for them, not believing them. And he even shows a picture. Now, in the in the picture, the kids are a lot older. At least two of the kids are older than they were in the book. In the book, they were all just, you know, probably the oldest one was no older than three. Uh, the other ones were infants when, when they were killed by the boogeyman. But in the short story, the Lester Billings character was kind of a dick. Uh, he wasn't a good guy. I mean, he he's talking about his wife and how he thought about smacking her around and just very condescending and not very nice to his wife, verbally abusive even. But you do feel sorry for him because he's he's constantly talking about how, but I love my kids. You, you do get a sense that he loved his kids. And, and as much as he neglected his kids and didn't believe his kids and and was annoyed by his kids. And I think, you know, the boogeyman was really Stephen King probably uh, just becoming a father at that time. And it was him dealing with fatherhood. And the I, I know he said on many occasions, Stephen King, about kids. I, I know in The Shining, the miniseries The Shining, uh, on the audio commentary, he's talking about the little kid that plays Danny. <laughs> And talking about, oh, he's so cute, you could just kill him. And I have to imagine, you know he's joking. You know he's not serious. But it's that sort of sick humor that I think was very much at the heart of, you know, uh, any new father. That you you love your kids, but Jesus, you just could kill them because they're screaming all the time or, or what have you. And, and that's very much what the Lester Billings character was like in the short story. I think in this, they made him a little more sympathetic. Because they didn't go into that sort of shit. They didn't go into him talking about smacking his wife around. They didn't go into that with this character. So you do feel sympathy for this man. And and David Desmalchin does this character quite well because he comes in and he's he's a tall guy compared to Chris Messina. So he's imposing. Uh, so that dynamic between the two characters, Dr. Harper, not knowing if he should be worried, not knowing if he's in any danger. This guy just showed up off the street and David David Dasmalchen does a good job with that kind of creepy, I might be a little unhinged, sort of on the edge of mania sort of situation. And he does a really good job with that kind of, uh, you don't know if he's crazy. You don't know if he's telling the truth. You don't know if he means harm or if he's there for good. And he came across very haunted which I think was a great tone setter for this movie because you you don't know what's gone on with this guy. He's telling you what's going on, but you don't really get it. I mean, if you've read the book, you get it. But if as a, as a viewer for the first time, you're, you're just not sure what to make of him. And it just adds a tension, adds a hauntedness, adds to the atmosphere that, that really sets the tone for the rest of the movie. And then I thought it was really weird that... His character all of a sudden starts walking through the house like he's looking for something and they never really addressed it in this in this story. And in any of the interviews I saw with the actors or Rob Savage, uh, maybe it's something that would be a better question for the writers, but he's 
he's looking around and and the Sadie character is doing laundry and all of a sudden she hears some banging around in this closet and she goes in there and finds that the Lester Billings character has hung himself or at least she assumes he's hung himself in this closet and I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about the fact that well Lester Billings brought this boogeyman to their house he brought this entity to the Harper family. And I don't know as if I think that's the case. I, I really honestly believe that what happened to the Billings family, because we see later that Rita Billings is holed up in their old house, setting traps for the boogeyman. And I think after this family lost their three kids, I think they decided they were going after this boogeyman. And the wife is at home setting traps and Lester is out searching to see if the boogeyman showed up anywhere else. Because he says in the, the beginning where he figured that Dr. Harper would understand what he's gone through because Dr. Harper just recently lost his wife. And it's established later on that the Billings family understand that the boogeyman is attracted to people through pain and grief. And, and that's kind of what it feeds on before it literally feeds on them. And I honestly think that the Lester Billings character didn't bring the boogeyman here. The Lester Billings character knew that this family was the perfect target for the boogeyman and that he was going there to find evidence that the boogeyman was in fact there. That's just supposition on my part, but that's the way I saw it. And I thought, you know, David Dustmalchin uh, did a really good job of this character. I wanted to see a whole movie with him as Lester Billings. And I'll talk about how they could have done that, how they could even do that with a prequel. That's the thing you do these days. Uh, you don't do a sequel, you do a prequel. The Conjuring universe has, has made a whole thing of that. Sequels and prequels and prequels to the prequels. Now, the other two characters we're going to talk about very, very quickly are the Sadie and Sawyer characters. Of course, Sadie is our main character, played by Sophie Thatcher. And if you're not familiar with her, I, you know, I knew the name. I wasn't familiar with a lot of her work. Uh, she was, she played a young Reagan in a couple episodes of that 2016 The Exorcist TV series. She's in that show Yellow Jacket, which I'm. I've never watched it. My wife and I both want to watch this. We just don't have showtime. So we may have to suck it up and get showtime for, for, for a month or two and and kind of mainline some some yellow jackets because I've heard it's tons of you know great stuff coming out of that show. But but she's in yellow jackets. Uh, she was also in a few episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. She played the Drash character, one of the one of the cyber kids on those stupid Vespa looking speeder bikes. Uh, I won't hold that against her, but uh, Sophie Thatcher does a really good job with this character, and she really carries a lot of the weight of this movie because she's kind of stuck between two worlds. She's stuck between the world of her younger sister who is going through this thing where she's claiming to see the boogeyman and believes it wholeheartedly. She's stuck between that world and the complete world of disbelief that her father is in, that there is no boogeyman. There is no monster in the closet or under the bed. This is all just manifestations of, of your, your grief because you lost your mother. You're upset because you lost your mother. It's, you know, she's kind of caught between total belief and total disbelief. And she starts out in the disbelief. Uh, she wants to believe her sister because, you know, she's, she wants to be there and supportive of her. But, you know, she is just adult enough as a, a high schooler that, you know, she doesn't believe in that kiddie stuff. But then through this movie, we slowly get the realization from this character that that all this is real and that she does believe. And, and it's a lot of the investigation as to what is going on with her sister, the ties to the Billings family, culminating with her own experience where she sees the boogeyman because her friends lock her in the closet that David Dasmalchen's character hung himself. Uh, she sees the boogeyman in there and then it is all real for her. Her going to visit 
Rita Billings at the old Billings house. Now, uh, that's something where, and, and I'll, I'll talk briefly about the uh, Rita Billings, played by Marin Ireland. Fantastic actress, ton of stuff. Uh, she plays this, this crazy wife of Lester who is holed up in this house uh, setting traps for the boogeyman. I don't think this character was necessary. In the short story, after the third child is killed, uh, you don't know whatever happened to the Rita character. Maybe she did become a boogeyman hunter. Maybe she went crazy. I don't know. Uh, they really didn't expand on that. King didn't expand on that in the book because it is a short story. And you're just getting a very uh, small snippet of, of a bigger picture, a bigger story. But I don't know as if you needed the character in this capacity. Because the scenes with the Rita Billings character felt very much like... We're just doing this so the Sadie character can get a little exposition on the boogeyman. He's afraid of light. You could move, but he's going to follow you, which is actually from the, the short story because the Billings family, after their second child died, they moved, had a third child, and, and the boogeyman ended up following them there. You had that action set piece there where it almost plays like a finale where uh, the Rita Billings character is setting a trap for the boogeyman and using Sadie as bait and using these these exploding things that are supposed to scare off bears but they have live rounds in them and it shows that the boogeyman can be wounded as Arnold said if it bleeds you can kill it it set up a lot of things that I don't think you needed this character to, to establish. And that's no knock on the actress. The actress did a fine job with the character. I just I just think this character in this story was there primarily just to fill some time. But at any rate, back to the Sadie character. Uh, you know, she is doing these investigations. She is looking into this boogeyman. She's, she's trying to figure out what is terrorizing her sister and it leads her closer and closer to belief that there is an entity in their house and she does a really good job with this character playing the pain of losing her mother playing the strength of having to be there for her sister playing the for lack of a better term that need to have her father acknowledge what's going on acknowledge what's happened acknowledge the pain just talk to her about what they're all going through she plays that anguish. And then she also plays a, a strength. When it comes down to this final battle between her family and the boogeyman, you, you believe that she's up to the task by the time you get to the end of it. And that's, I think, one part in the writing. Uh, but also another part, it is the, the actress. She was very believable in this role with the myriad of emotion that her character had to go through. Whether it is a quiet, heartfelt conversation with her dad about her dead mom or her using her mom's lighter and a spray can and toasting the bejesus out of the boogeyman it, it was all very believable because of her performance and it just makes me want to watch yellow jackets all the more uh, it makes me want to watch her i, I can't wait to see the next uh, movie that Sophie Thatcher is going to be in. Hopefully it's a genre piece because, you know, those are the movies I like to watch, but no matter what she's going to be in, I, I'm really excited to see it. And then of course, finally we get uh, young Vivian Lyra Blair. She is, I think a young actress on the rise. Of course you, you know her from the bird box, uh, probably most notably people these days know her as young princess Leia in the, Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney. She was really kind of a standout. Her and Ewan McGregor really made that for all the faults that series had. Ewan McGregor and Vivian Lear Blair were were two of the standouts. And of course, Hayden Christensen's involvement really made that uh, that whole experience with Obi-Wan Kenobi enjoyable for me. But she plays Sawyer, which uh, interestingly enough, the Sawyer character was originally written as a boy it was supposed to be a younger brother to sadie but the filmmakers uh i, I don't know if it was rob savage or mark Heyman who made the decision to make sawyer uh, a girl 
Uh, I think it was a smart one because Rob Savage, uh, I see, I've seen some interviews where he was talking about how you really get uh, a great dynamic with having it be two sisters and that sisterly bond uh, between these two. I mean, you can get a sibling bond, but but there's a special bond between brothers and there's a special bond between sisters that uh, that I think really played well to the story. So I thought it was kind of interesting that the Sawyer character originally is supposed to be a, a younger brother, but uh, now a younger sister. And of course, without that uh, gender swap there, uh, Vivian Lear Blair wouldn't have been in this. And I really think she was a fantastic. You really got uh, the fear in her. And those early scenes with her in her dark bedroom, even though she's got little lights here and there, she's afraid of the dark. You get so much fear out of her when the closet door bursts open and you see this shadowy shape pass very quickly at the foot of her bed. And she had to do so many scenes like that. So many scenes where she is alone in the dark and the expression of fear on her face was just... uh, you know, it, it really harkened me back to my days as a little kid. I remember when I was young one time, I was in my bedroom alone. I don't know as if my younger brother was born just yet. So I would have been by myself. And somehow the closet door was right behind the, the bedroom door. But uh, maybe it wasn't shut. And when my mom or dad closed the door, the, you know, kind of the air suction will open up doors. And it kind of opened it up. And with a little bit of the moonlight coming through the window, but it was still quite dark in there, I was quite certain that there was a witch in my closet. I could just barely make out the shape. And I laid there in my bed, petrified to move, petrified to breathe, petrified to to even close my eyes. I just I just laid there until I passed out. And then the next morning I looked in the closet and it was like a robe hanging and something else and just enough to where in the dark it looked like a witch. And so I understood the fear of some creature, some entity, some malevolent entity being in your dark closet and all that all those feelings, all those emotions came rushing back watching Vivian Lear Blair reacting to these creepy things going on in her dark closet, in her dark bedroom. And like I said, the expressions, the emoting of fear that she did was really good. And then, of course, when you have those moments between her and Sadie, those those sister moments that are soft and tender, where they're both dealing with the grief of losing their mother. Uh, she handled that very well. The fear that she created in me in that creepy moment where she walks into Sadie's doorway and all you see is the silhouette of her and Sadie's asks her something. She doesn't respond. And you're like, oh my God, is this is this the boogeyman? Is he a shapeshifter? And then all of a sudden she says something in a very monotone voice. There's a monster in my closet. There's, there's something in my closet. I can't remember exactly the line, but it really reminded me of the line from Signs where Abigail Breslin comes into Mel Gibson's room and says, there's a monster outside my window. Can I have a glass of water? Uh, it just really kind of harkened back to that. And it was such a, a chilling moment. It, it probably scared me more than it should have. But it was a lot in her delivery. It was so deadpan and matter of fact. And when I would be probably peeing myself with fright if I were in that position. But uh, just kind of given that deadpan delivery just added a creepy factor to it. And that, again, is all up to the actress, uh, Vivian Lear Blair, doing a fantastic job with this character. And yeah, this movie really was a good scary movie. You know, you had enough heart in it to make you care about the characters. And if I don't care about the characters, I'm not going to be scared for them. And I think that's probably why this movie was so scary is because I did care about these characters. I did care about what happened to them. I did care about the circumstances which they found themselves in. And I think that is probably why the the stakes were so high, even though this was a PG-13 movie and nobody died in it. There was not a single person that dies on screen. David Desmalchin's character, Lester Billings, dies off screen you just see him hanging later there's no deaths there's no blood guts and gore it's a pg-13 there's not even a a ton of swearing in it uh i I saw an interview with rob savage that what would he do with this movie if he was uh given an r rating he was allowed to do it for an r rating he said "Ah, they just swear more because he really did 
get the vision that he saw. You don't need a ton of blood and guts and gore for to make something scary, to make it a horror movie. And he proved that. And I thought the the climax of this was good. It was a slow burn. Uh, this movie was was definitely a slow burn and a slow build. Uh, essentially to belief in the boogeyman by the Chris Messina character, by the Sophie Thatcher character. And I thought the the climax was pretty good. You know, they're down in the basement battling this boogeyman in ways that, you know, you would do in, in real life. It's not like they had machetes or not like they had a gun or, you know, you've got Sawyer carrying a spray can. You've got uh, Sadie with this lighter and they put them together and, and make a blowtorch and, and fight it that way. The thing was already wounded from the, the events at the Billings household earlier. There are some scenes and, and we'll talk about the creature design here in a little bit, but there are some scenes where, where things are lit up. And you can see this creature has scars all over it, where it's it's done battle with inhabitants of houses before, and and has obviously come out on top. I I did think the because they had a scene where uh, Sadie earlier is watching a video on how to uh, essentially do a séance and and speak to the the dead. She wants to speak to her mother, and it's it's understandable where she's trying to get her mother to bend the flame on this lighter to let her know that she's there. And when all hope seems lost, she flicks the the lighter and this giant flame bursts out of it and it's leaning to the left. You know the mother is there. You know the mother is with them. And it put goosebumps on me. It was very emotional. It could have bordered on hokey. And, and part of me knew it was coming because of the scene earlier with her trying to get her, her mother's spirit to bend the flame. I, I knew that was coming. But it all still really worked. And then Sawyer pouring the paint thinner all over the, the boogeyman and lighting him on fire. And that's how they killed him. I, I thought it was all it was all very believable. As much as, you know, a story about boogeymen can be believable. And it all really worked. It was a, a very satisfying to me, a very satisfying climax. Nothing that you haven't seen before in some form or fashion. But Jesus Christ, I, I've heard people bitching about this movie that, oh, it's, you know, it's all the same horror trope schlock that that we get with every other movie well you know there's nothing new under the sun every idea you've seen came from somewhere else uh, so just enjoy the movie for what it is it doesn't have to reinvent the wheel every time you know somebody comes out with a horror movie sometimes old ideas are are old ideas for a reason because they work and if you're doing them in different enough ways to tell a story, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's not to say you shouldn't push for innovation and push for doing things a new way. But just because somebody does something a tried and true way doesn't make it bad. Uh, another complaint I've heard about this movie is that it didn't dive into the lore of the boogeyman enough. Normally, I would agree with this because there are a lot of movies out there where they don't dive enough into the lore of what's going on. But then there's sometimes movies that come along where you don't really need to know why it's happening or what the rules are. I've heard a lot of uh, reviewers and commentators talking about, I don't know the rules. Uh, I didn't know the rules. The rules weren't established. Uh, the rules, rules, rules. I, I think that's the problem with what Scream has done to <laughs> to horror fans is we have to have rules of engagement for horror movies and things can't just happen just because i like the the way george romero put it especially in regards to something like night of the living dead that god just changed the rules and and i like that that you know in in life in real life we don't get the rules of what's going on Things just happen and we have to react either positively or in a negative way or, you know, just survive. And and I like when movie makers put me in that position, put the audience in that position where you don't know the rules because that's not life. You don't get a, a manual, a book of instructions to tell you how to traverse any any situation that may be a little bit stressful. And so I, I like the fact that there wasn't a, a ton of lore that would sometimes sometimes that just weighs a movie down and i think that's what you had with this movie you had a movie that told you just enough because 
the the boogeyman is a universal figure. I mean, every culture has their boogeyman. Uh, El Cuco, uh, Baba Yaga. You know, everybody in every culture has their own version of the boogeyman. So the boogeyman is something that you really don't need a bunch of lore. You don't need a bunch of rules to understand how it operates. Just that it is, and that it is a creature, uh, quite possibly as old as time. You don't need to know where it came from. You don't need to know what its motivation is. Like any creature, its motivation is survival, and it survives by eating people, eating children, (laughs) scaring the bejesus out of them, and then sucking their life force out. Uh, That's the only rule you need. Uh, Whether it can survive in light, how it travels from this place to that place. I do like, uh, they did a version of the Boogeyman in that Ghostbusters cartoon where the uh, boogeyman, this huge-headed, cloven-hooved uh, foot uh, creature with a very smart uh, Victorian jacket on, uh, kind of goes into this other dimension or is from this other dimension. And this dimension is connected to all the closet doors of kids all around the world. I kind of like that. Not saying that this is that, but, you know, that sort of stuff looks good in cartoons. But uh, you don't need to know that in this movie. You just need to know that the boogeyman is and that he is terrifying. That's the only rules you need. Everything else is just supposition because, like I said, you don't get rule books in the real world. And and I hate that moviegoers and horror fans feel like they have to know the rules to, to enjoy a movie. But I ultimately liked how this story went. Uh, there were some times where the, the pacing seemed a little slow. Like I said, they could have done without the Rita Billing stuff. I think any exposition we got about the Boogeyman, we could have figured out in other places. But there again, that would have probably shortened this movie by 10 minutes or so. Maybe not even that, which I don't think would have been a bad thing. It could have picked up the pace a little bit. Uh, I, I know some people complained about the emotional scenes between Sadie and her father, Sadie and her sister. I, I think you needed those to care about these characters. Uh, this movie is about grief. That is the theme of it. It's about the darkness that can set in and into you and your family if you let grief consume you and you let grief go unchecked and you let grief take over your your daily life that was a huge theme throughout this movie whether it be spoken or unspoken and to really drive that home you you needed those scenes uh those heartfelt scenes where where they're discussing grief and you have to have those scenes where these people are grieving and on top of it being a good story and and a well-acted story i thought it was also a really interesting movie to watch Uh, Just from a visual standpoint, the cinematography from Eli Bourne uh, was was really good. The lighting was really good. I mean, it's it's dark. And one of the things I really liked about this is that the boogeyman stayed in the shadows for 90% of this movie. You really don't get a good look at it until the very end. And even then, you don't get a great look at it. And that's You know, I've heard some complaints about it because, oh, it's too dark. The boogeyman's always in the dark. Well, if you show him warts and all right off the bat, then he loses its scariness. Uh, It has to be in the dark because the boogeyman is a creature of the dark. The boogeyman has always been a creature that lurks in the dark, dark closets, under your bed where it's dark, in the dark corners, in the dark shadows of your room. That is where the boogeyman's lair is, and you have to show that in this movie. And and I think it worked with this because the boogeyman was a uh, an entirely CG character, and if you you show it too soon and too much, uh, you start to see that it's really CG. And the CG could have been really bad, but if you're keeping it in the shadows, keeping it in the dark. Uh, you don't notice how bad the CG is. And, uh, and the CG wasn't bad. When they finally showed the, the Boogeyman, it wasn't the best CG I've ever seen, but it was was pretty good CG. Uh, but I think, you know, keeping the monster concealed for the most part, where you get glimpses, and they did that in a slow burn sort of fashion where you don't see the Boogeyman very well at all to begin with, but you start seeing more and more of it until the very end, that final battle where they're in the basement and 
and you see the boogeyman and how how gnarly and and the long spindly arms and legs and it, it was it was creepy i like the design on it i like the little features because like i said if you catch it at the right moment you can see scars all over it and it looks really good there again i, I don't think it's reinventing the wheel uh, I mean, this is not a monster that we've never seen before, but I, I really like the application of this this style of monster in this movie, in the way they did this movie. But like I said, I, I think that's part and parcel to the lighting, the lack thereof, and then the the moments where they use lighting in really interesting ways. Uh, again, you got to chalk that up to Eli Bourne and, and his crew because they did some really interesting things with light, uh, like in Sadie's room, where you have kind of like the Christmas lights uh, all around and this like rainbow nightlight thing. And she's got this big moon ball that glows. It's it's essentially a light. And I have to imagine kids all over are going to be getting that for Christmas this year. But one of the things I found very interesting is that it was originally supposed to be a lightsaber. Uh, this kind of like cheap knockoff lightsaber that uh, Sawyer was going to have. And apparently Disney put the kibosh on that because they didn't want to have the young actress who played a young Princess Leia with a lightsaber. So they ended up, uh, they couldn't do the lightsaber and they used this this big glowing moon ball and used that to light a lot of scenes. And they did some really interesting things with her rolling that ball and the, the ball casting light down a hall or, or under the bed to some really creepy effect. Uh, they did something cool with this big, like red cube light that that kind of blinked on and off. That was a really interesting way to light that scene. There was the the scene with the video game, which was uh, probably one of the creepiest, if not the scariest scene, just because of the way it ended up. But the the video game they used was a real game, and to get to the point in the video game where they wanted the lighting that it that it gave off through the TV. Uh, they had to play this game. It's like a special, I don't know, a special part of the game. But they had to play to get to that level. And then once you got there, you only had two minutes before this bad guy shows up and the screen washes red. So that scene, they really had to do in one take. I mean, they probably did it multiple times. But that whole scene was pretty much a two-minute one take before this bad guy shows up and the, the screen washes red, which you which you see in there, and, and all hell kind of breaks loose. And then, of course, when the, the Vivian Lear Blair character goes off the screen and then goes flying across the screen into the TV was just jarring as F because I was not expecting it to see a child in that kind of danger is jarring and it scared the bejesus out of me as well but it was really cool how that scene was lit just by this this screen uh, of the TV and then they did a lot of things with lighting that was really interesting and and played into the darkness where you would have camera swipe by a dark area of a room or a dark closet and you're straining your eyes trying to see if you see the boogeyman if you're if you're missing something and and whether you know something's going to jump out of the darkness they just did a really good job with building tension and and they did that all through the atmosphere of this movie it started from that first scene with Chris Messina and David Dasmalchen that scene was creepy as f and and they just built on that and I think that's one of the things that made this such a scary movie is the fact that they they weren't unrelenting with the tension building and the atmosphere because you did get breaks, the emotional breaks that you needed where you had this family dealing with the death of the their mother and, and their wife and you, you had that emotional buildup. And, and I think that kind of worked hand in hand with the atmosphere and the tension they built from a horror standpoint because while... The tension is being ratcheted up through, like I said, the atmosphere. It's also being ratcheted up and made even more heightened because you're caring more and more about this family. And you're caring more and more about this family as you're realizing this family is more and more in peril. And I think those two things worked in tandem to really make this such a, a creepy and frightening experience it's very unnerving in a lot of scenes because you're on edge the edge of your seat so much because 
you you don't want anything to happen to this family, but you know, especially if you know the short story, and you know you know that the kids die. Every kid dies in that short story, and you're quite certain. And even in this movie, the man's kids all die. Lester Billings' kids all die before the events of this movie. So the fact that it is PG thirteen, and you're pretty sure that these kids are safe. You just don't know because, and especially with that scene with Vivian Lear Blair's Sawyer character being thrown into the TV, that was jarring. I did not expect that. I did not expect that sort of violence on a child. And there are so many great scenes like that. Scenes with the boogeyman pulling Will Harper and Sawyer Harper through the front door uh, was was jarring and scary. And uh, scenes in the closet, that, that first scene where we get the boogeyman in Sawyer's bedroom was, was scary as fuck. The scene with Sadie being locked in that closet by her friends and her first run-in with the, the boogeyman was, was quite frightening. They had so many great scenes where you can just barely make out uh, a shadowy figure uh, either in a corner or up on the ceiling or, you know, it's things we've seen before in horror movies, but when it's done right and it's done well, it's creepy no matter how many times you've seen it before. Those first scenes where you really start to get uh, a good image of the boogeyman when when Rita Billings is setting that trap for it in her home using Sadie as bait, you really get your first good look at the boogeyman there. Uh, and that wasn't that wasn't jump scares. That wasn't even atmosphere. That was just a, a creepy creature design being shown there in all its glory. While, like I said, it's not lit great. Uh, it, it does light it enough so you can see what's going on, but not enough that you can see how this, it, it's all CG. Uh, and, and they did a really good job with all of that. I think from top to bottom, I think this was a really good movie. Uh, Rob Savage directed it well. Uh, the writers did a really good job with a, a very concise, and maybe not concise. I think there was a little fat that could have been trimmed. But uh, but they did a, a story with characters that they really knew what they wanted to do with them. And it was a technical crew from the visual effects people, the digital effects people, the the lighting and the cinematography just all done really well. And, and, and it was a movie that you can tell that they cared about the final product. And everyone went through great pains to to put together uh, an excellent movie. And I didn't mind the fact that this wasn't the original Stephen King short story. It was based on it. And and I think they did a good job with giving you enough connective tissue between Stephen King's original short story uh, to this story that it, it made it a, a good adaptation, I thought. Not a very faithful adaptation in that you don't see the story that happens in the short story, uh, but you're seeing a story based on that, the after effects of that short story, which which I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy, but I certainly did end up enjoying it. Now, could we see this story played out, the Stephen King short story played out? Yeah, you could do a prequel to this. Uh, I would almost rather see that than a sequel. I don't want to see the boogeyman because, uh, you know, Rob Savage kind of looked at this boogeyman as kind of like Santa Claus. There's only one. Uh, there's not other boogeymen out there. I, I kind of like the idea of that. I think they could do a, a prequel where you have David Dusmalchen and Marin Ireland uh, reprising the roles of Lester and Rita Billings and doing that story where we see their children all die. Now, granted, it wouldn't be exactly like the short story because, like I said, they established in this movie that their kids are a little bit older, but still I think that would have been an interesting story to see because in that story you are going to have a death count. Uh, you are going to see some horrific imagery of, of children being killed. And it's not that I want to see that, but it certainly would uh, lend itself to some very horrific scenes. Uh, even if you don't see anything graphically, even just, you know, in this, you saw a lot of stuff with uh, sound effect and sound design that made 
things creepy and scary without even having to see anything. And I think they could do that with a, a prequel to this movie. And I'd be interested in seeing that. And the one thing I did think was kind of cool, it was a nod from from Rob Savage to the ending of the original short story where Lester Billings goes out to make an appointment. The uh, receptionist is not there. He walks back into the uh, doctor's office. The doctor isn't there, but the closet door is open just slightly, just a crack. And the door opens and the boogeyman is standing there taking off a Dr. Harper mask. And you don't know. I mean, you know, it ends kind of ambiguously. You don't know if Lester met his untimely demise there or if that he escaped. But, uh, but it does end with a very ominous tone that Lester is probably going to be killed as well uh they they gave a nod to that because at the end of this movie the harper family are finally at the the lady therapist's uh, place uh, her office and doing family therapy and all is right with the world and as they leave uh, sadie hears somebody call her back she hears the doctor call her back and when she goes back into the room the closet door is open just slightly just a crack and she starts to go to open it up and then the doctor's behind her asking her if everything's all right so you don't know if it was just her mind playing tricks on her if the boogeyman is still alive and then of course she shuts the closet door and walks off fade the black and it was a nice nod to the ending of the Stephen King short story. When it first started, I'm like, oh shit, they're going to do the ending. It's going to be a, a very Tales from the Crypt uh, dark ending. But they didn't do that. Uh, it would have been kind of cool if they did. I'm, I'm okay that they didn't do that. But I did like, I did appreciate the effort of paying homage to the original ending of the Stephen King short story. So there you have it. Those are my thoughts on... The Boogeyman, a movie that I was quite sure I was going to hate. I was quite sure that I was going to pan it on the podcast. And much like uh, the chipping away of the stone of some of the characters into belief in the Boogeyman, the, the stone was chipped away in my heart. And I actually came to, to really like this movie. I, I don't know as if I love it. I think it would have to be a little more close to the original story for me to love it. But I really like this movie. I thought it was really good. Uh, it was really scary. Probably, like I said, one of the scariest movies I've watched in a long time. And I don't scare easy. I don't say that uh, to brag or anything like that. It's just, you know, I've watched enough of these that I, I probably become a little desensitized to to scares in movies, but uh, I don't scare easy. And this this had me, my heart racing, this had me kind of tensing up quite a bit. Uh, there were several scenes in this where I was, I was feeling the fear. And I can't say that about a lot of movies over the past, you know, at least in 2023. 2022 was an amazing year for horror movies. And I can't say any one of those scared me like the boogeyman did. So uh, if anything, uh, if anything I've said that I think this movie can hang its hat on, it did give me a scare and I, I liked it. So want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on the boogeyman. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. I, I think you're going to like this movie. Like I said, not reinventing the wheel, but done really well and a very enjoyable movie to watch from, from the acting to the directing to the cinematography to the sound design. Uh, there's some weird needle drops in there, especially Elvis's burning love at the very end of it. But like I said, top to bottom, a really good movie, and I think you're going to like it. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on The Boogeyman. You can check out more what's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page and Instagram, always posting articles that I find all over the internet from horror, fantasy, and science fiction subjects uh, always posting trailers to movies and series that are coming out and who knows what else all sorts of other things on facebook and instagram no matter where you're listening to this podcast please subscribe to it like it follow it whatever you have to do whatever your particular podcast platform calls it do that and of course stay on top of uh, all the new episodes please share this podcast with anyone that you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction and please leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that so until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkins curiosity shop 
We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!